In 2005, in Istanbul, Turkey, a group of Turkish shepherds left their flocks grazing while they all went to breakfast. In their absence, one rogue sheep decided to jump a ravine. The problem? It wasn't a ravine. It was a cliff. He jumped. He fell. He died. Another sheep follows. He jumps. He falls. He dies. Then another sheep. Then another. Then another. Until 1,500 sheep jumped off the cliff. Only 450 died, however. Wondering how the others survived? Sheep number 451 to sheep number 1,050 didn't hit the rocks when they jumped. They hit a billowy white pile of wool that cushioned their fall. These shepherds failed to properly shepherd this flock. The 1,500 sheep had been entrusted to their care, to their shepherdship. 26 different families trusted their small flocks to these men. And that turned out to be a horrible decision. Incompetent shepherds equal wrecked sheep. And this isn't the only time this has happened. In 2010, a group of 52 sheep all ran over the edge of a cliff and died. In 2017, 80 sheep, 80 sheep plummeted to their deaths. Onwatchers testified that they do not know what caused this. The sheep were not scared or in any danger. Now, we can joke about how dumb sheep are, and that may be true, but I do not want to pull the wool over your eyes. Oh, you see what I did there? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad joke. Um, I feel like that ruined what I'm about to tell you, but uh, all this could have been prevented had there been competent shepherds. Why do sheep need shepherds? It's not only to keep them from mass suicide, it's to keep them from becoming a meal. Sheep-eating predators like wolves and hyenas will enter the flock and will not stop feasting until it's entirely ravaged. Sheep are defenseless. You ever seen a sheep growling? A sheep showing his teeth? No, defenseless. Why do sheep need shepherds? To feed them, keep them in green pastures. One sheep farmer reported that she must be extremely vigilant after a storm to remove branches and leaves that blow into her pasture from the neighbor's locust trees. Her sheep race to nibble on them because they taste so good. The problem is that they are toxic and can sicken and even kill the sheep. Why do sheep need shepherds? To keep them healthy. Sheep are pest magnets. They get ticks, lice, and worms. Sheep have no survival skills. You let them roam wild, they will die. I guess it's due to all of these reasons that God calls us sheep in the Bible. It's a frequent metaphor that is spread across both Testaments. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. So God's solution for the sheep is to provide shepherds. Spiritual shepherds to guide the flock away from cliffs and to guard the flock from wolves. You remember those three stories I told you about the sheep jumping to their deaths? All three accounts were in Turkey. 
in the exact same geographical location as these metaphorical sheep to whom Peter is writing this letter. <laughs> Evidently, it's not easy to shepherd sheep in Turkey. So Peter writes, giving the shepherds instruction. And I hate to break the news to you, but it's not just Turkish sheep that are hard to shepherd. It's Kentucky sheep and Tennessee sheep. And both of those pale in comparison to Fort Campbell sheep. I've enjoyed shepherding from all around the college basketball landscape. Ohio Buckeye sheep, UCLA Bruin sheep, Tar Heel sheep. And this may be a big surprise for you, but even Duke Blue Devil sheep. Although to better align with scripture, I should say Duke goats. <laughs> I grew up hating the Duke Blue Devils and Coach K. But when I became a Christian, nothing changed. All right, here's what I have for you. Help for shepherds to shepherd better, verses 1 through 4. Help for flocks to flock better, verse 5. Instruction for Turkish shepherds and instruction for Turkish sheep. Rewards for Turkish shepherds and rewards for Turkish sheep. But sheep and shepherds are the same no matter the geography. So what we have in our text is universal all times and in all places. Help for shepherds to shepherd better. And help for, for flocks to flock better. Now before I give you the first help, I know some of you are like, Kyle, I'm not a shepherd. So I'm going to zone out until you get to the instructions for the sheep. Don't do that. I'll give you six reasons why you should, as a sheep, pay very close attention to the shepherd portion. One, some of you will not stay in this church. You are military and God has dropped you here for two years. Understanding what a shepherd should do and be is essential for you in choosing a new church when you move. You need to get this right. Your standards for pastors are way too low. Two, the sheep and shepherds make up the church. The function of a church should be important to you. It's Jesus' bride. Study with eager anticipation how the shepherd treats and views the sheep and how the sheep treat and view the shepherds. Some pastors don't, don't like to speak on what a pastor should be or should do because it's like they're preaching to themselves. It can be awkward. A shepherd preaching to sheep on what a shepherd should be. How strange. I'm sorry if you've never had a pastor do that. But you're going to have one do that to you today. It's part of my responsibility to shepherd you well. Three, many if not most problems in a church can be traced back to leadership. Shepherds lead the church and you will see some common ways they fail to lead. Four, some of you aspire to be a pastor. You need to evaluate your life to see if you meet these qualifications. If you possess this heart, we are a church that loves young, soon-to-be pastors. We seek to train and equip like Peter is doing in our text and then send them around the globe. We don't want to outsource everything in pastoral training to seminaries. We want to do it here. Five, some of you are not Christians. You aren't sheep. You're goats. And you view pastors like aliens or cult leaders. And you need to know what God says about a pastor. 
You've watched scandalous news stories about pastors. You come into this service with a natural built-in distrust of pastors. You think they're all sociopaths. Respect for the office of a pastor is a legit joke to you. Lastly, some of you are brand new Christians. And you're not sure how to view pastors. You're not sure what pastors do. I've had some of you over to my house and in, and in a moment of sincere curiosity, you ask me. So you only, you only work one day a week? <laughs> I'm hoping you have a more complete, biblically informed picture of a pastor after today. Now let's get to the helps. Help number one is for the shepherds. True shepherds want to help other shepherds shepherd their flocks faithfully. Now, practically, I've seen this because every decision we've ever made here has come after we've spoken to other shepherds who are pastoring other churches. That's practically. Now, biblically, Peter says, I exhort you elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The apostle Peter is writing to a network of churches in a region about the size of Arizona, and the weather is similar as well. We know it as modern-day Turkey. There were a lot of sheep in Turkey, but not a lot of shepherds. In New Zealand, sheep outnumber people five to one. Many sheep, few shepherds. The same with Peter writing to these churches. There's a dearth of faithful shepherds in the land. So Peter is going to start a pastor's college, like Charles Spurgeon did in London. He's going to train pastors. Charles Spurgeon oversaw the training of 863 pastors. He did church-based training, which I really like. His pastor's college was founded out of a shepherd's desire to help other shepherds shepherd their flock. One of my favorite books by Spurgeon is entitled, Lecture to My Students. And in it, he says, and I quote, Far better for a man that he had never been born than that he should degrade the pulpit into a shadow box to exhibit himself in. This letter is Peter's lecture to my students. Let's begin reading it in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter at this time is the mega authority in the early church. He's the top-ranking apostle among the Jews. Yet here he takes a less exalted title, elder. Peter is stressing his solidarity with these local church elders. He knew the church would be left in the hands of elders, not apostles. The biblical office of apostle dies out. The office of elder lives on. Peter stands beside the elders, not above them. He's not giving this instruction as an apostle but as a fellow pastor in the day-to-day -day grind. Peter was an elder at the church of Jerusalem. And now he's an elder at the local church where he writes from in Rome. Peter is not going to ask them to do anything that he himself is not doing in his own local church. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So we have Peter the elder and Peter the eyewitness. Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' agony in the garden. He watched someone punch Jesus in the mouth. 
If he closed his eyes, Peter could still hear the trumped-up charges being bellowed at Jesus. Peter witnessed the first trial. After the first trial, Jesus being sent shackled to Caiaphas. How much of Jesus' sufferings did Peter witness? Some of that is a mystery. Spurgeon believed after Peter denied Jesus three times and after Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus looked at him in that gaze of concentrated agony, Spurgeon said, I cannot help believing that Peter rallied by and by from his fit of cowardice and that he came to the front again and saw the master in Pilate's judgment hall and watched him be scourged, beaten, and mocked. Peter possibly saw Jesus hanging on a cross Dying on a tree like a felon. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Peter tells these shepherds, you shepherd out of that. He purchased the flock of God with his own blood. You shepherd the flock out of that. You shepherd suffering sheep, always mindful of the lamb that suffered in their place. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So we have Peter the elder, Peter the eyewitness, and Peter the partaker. You shepherd faithfully until you partake of Christ's return, his glory. Peter pastors with his eyes forward, his eyes on glory. Shepherd with the end in mind. Peter says, I shepherd out of Christ's sufferings and I shepherd looking forward to Christ's glory. Peter is laying bare his heart in verse one. He's a shepherd wanting to help shepherds. He's not looking over the cliff at at your wrecked sheep then laughing as he walks off with his full flock. No. He wants you to develop the heart of a shepherd. Spurgeon once told the pastors in his college, he said, a man must have a great heart if he would have a great congregation. He has his doors all open to receive you and you are at home with him at once. Such men I would persuade you to be, every one of you. Help number two for shepherds. Shepherds must be trained to properly shepherd the flock. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, you might want to mark in your Bibles three words for pastor. They are elder in verse 1, shepherd in verse 2, exercising oversight also in verse 2. If you're new in the faith, this might be helpful for your understanding. The New Testament church is organized under a leadership structure. Let's take these words one at a time. First, elder. The word elder was not a new invention of the first century church. It was already used in the culture. The church redefined it and added new elements and expectations for it. Uh, Someone says, what's what's that, Kyle? Mm, What's that new hip term you guys use over at Faith Family Church for a pastor? What is that? Elder, yeah, elder, elder. Elder isn't new or hip. It's ancient. TikTok is new. Elder is not. Tom Schreiner says that every piece of evidence shows that elders were widespread in the early church. They are mentioned by different authors. Luke, 
Paul, Peter, and James. They stretch over a wide region of the Greco-Roman world, from Jerusalem to Palestine, the whole of Asia Minor, Crete. We use the term elder here quite a bit because it's the most used term for pastor in the Bible. Now, some of you live in, in those compact neighborhoods. And when you hear elder, you think of the elder Mormons that come to your door. <laughs> he knocks on your door looking like he's nine years old. And you just want to give him a juice box and a snack. That's, what, that's not what the Bible means when it talks about elders. Edmund Clowney points out that the eldership in the New Testament church is not a fresh institution. It's carried forward from the Old Testament organization of the people of God. Luke makes frequent mention of the elders of Israel. At the time of the Exodus, there were elders of Israel. Moses spent a lot of time with the elders of Israel. Elder. Now, shepherd. Remember, these readers are in an agrarian society. Shepherding was an extremely familiar and popular vocation. Jewish shepherds tended their sheep not so much for the meat, but for the wool, milk, and lambs. And there's even a play on words here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd and flock have the exact same root word. You could read it woodenly, shepherd the sheep. The Old Testament uses the shepherd figure for those in charge of the people of God. You might think highly of shepherds, considering Moses and David, big leaders in Israel's history, were shepherds before they became leaders. But Stephen Davey points out that for centuries, and even in the days of Christ, shepherding wasn't at the top of anybody's career path. Nobody's kid in Israel was saying, I really want to be a shepherd when I grow up. Guidance counselors weren't suggesting shepherding to high school graduates. Shepherds basically lived with their sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Their task was unending. Every day, every night, summertime, wintertime, fair weather, foul weather, during lightning storms caught out in the open, shivering through freezing nights, shepherds fed, guided, and protected their sheep. Davey adds to this that the problem that shepherds in Israel were considered they were, they were perpetually and ceremonially unclean. According to the Mishnah, shepherds were not under, were under a ban. And that is, they were considered unclean and banned from the temple. That's because shepherds weren't able to keep all the regulations such as washing hands at certain times, praying at certain times, or attending festivals and feast days. With prohibitions about touching blood or a dead animal, well... These were things shepherds did as they tended the flock and delivered lambs and fought off wolves. And that's why it's so fitting that the shepherds who were disqualified from worship were the first ones to be invited to officially worship the newborn Messiah. Bishop. Exercising oversight. Overseer. Exercising oversight. This is one word in the original language that essentially means to take care of the flock. Exercising oversight is the verb form of overseer. The term elder, shepherd, overseer, all three names refer to the same office. And this is not particularly debated at all among scholars. All three titles appear together in Acts 20, 17 through 28. Interchangeable. Now, summary. Elder, that's the Greek word pres presbyteros. 
You see where it's listed in the scriptures? This is related to leading the flock. Leading in perilous times. The pastor's job is not to produce sheep. We can't create them. Only God does. We lead them. Shepherd, poimen, this is sometimes translated pastor. This is related to feeding the flock. The main way you lead the flock is by feeding the flock. Expounding the scriptures before the sheep is leading them in green pastures so they can feast. Luther rightly argued that you shepherd the flock by preaching the gospel. Peter remembered when he wrote this word, shepherd. He remembered what happened by the fire. Jesus said, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. You show God that you love him by feeding the sheep. It does no good to pet the sheep if you don't feed them. He didn't say entertain the sheep. Do a little song and dance for the sheep. No. Feed them. Overseer. That's episkopos. Sometimes translated bishop. In our text, translated the verb form exercising oversight. This is related to ruling the flock or guarding the flock. They rule the sheep. Set guardianship over the sheep. They make sure they're not being poisoned by bad food. They watch over the doctrine and life of the flock. Peter said in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now that's very important for pastors to hear. You don't shepherd every flock. Just your own flock. Peter's lesson in his pastor's college contains a series of three contrasts. Three negatives and three positives. Three negatives are introduced by the word but. Excuse me, three negatives are introduced by the word not. Three positives are introduced by the word but. Three common pitfalls, three admirable pursuits. Three vices, three victories. Shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly. Never make a pastor a pastor if he's not willing. If you have to talk him into it, that's compulsion. Forced constraint. A pastor shouldn't shepherd out of mere obligation because he has to. If you're going to survive the culture, you need a shepherd who gives willing service, not begrudging service. Those who serve because they feel they must will lose their joy and the church will suffer because of it. In his commentary on this text, Chuck Swindoll told a story about a young man who was sound asleep on Sunday morning when his mother burst into the room and said, get out of bed now. With his face buried in his pillow, he muffled out, give me three good reasons why I should get up. She said, well, for one, because it's Sunday, and you know that we always go to church on Sunday. The guy just moaned. And two, because we have only 40 minutes until church starts, and you haven't even showered. And three... Because you're the pastor of the church. Now get up. <laughs> you do not shepherd from a sense of duty, but delight. Shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly. Shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You want an eager shepherd. Eager is an extremely strong word. It means a pastor who eats to preach. That's the one you want. 
You don't want one who preaches to eat. Helm said shepherds must be eager to teach, but not eager for cash. Rich pastors and poor pastors can be in it for shameful gain. Financially compensating church leaders already existed in the first century. This is not an invention of the modern church. Shepherds should be compensated. 1 Corinthians 9. The practice of compensating elders began in the first century, but abuse rose quickly. Pastor, if you're involved in money-making schemes that deter you from pastoring, shame on you. If you're a greedy pastor, you're prostituting the call of God. You don't peddle the gospel. You proclaim it. Is pastoring a job for you to perform or a passion for you to fulfill? The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and warned that an elder must not be a lover of money. He wrote to Titus and described an elder as someone who is not greedy for gain. Some are interested in fleecing the flock, not feeding the flock. Shepherd, thirdly, not by domineering, but by being an example. Notice what verse 3 says. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Little Blake and little Jake both told their teacher when they grow up they want to be teachers. So she asked little Jake, why do you want to be a teacher? He said, I want to teach kids to love math. She asked little Blake, why do you want to be a teacher? He said, I want to put kids in the corner. <laughs> Something is wrong with you if you want to be a pastor so you can tell people what to do. There is no place in pastoral ministry for threats, coercion, emotional intimidation, bullying, yelling, threatening, manipulating. That's a misuse of power. The word, Greek word domineering means forcefully ruling over or subduing. That's a leadership style that characterizes the unregenerate. That may work at Walmart or in your unit, but not God's house. Pastors are overseers, not overlords. And it's not unusual in our celebrity pastor culture for a gifted man to quickly rise only to crash, and then the church crashes with him. Mark Driscoll, who spoke recently at the largest church in Clarksville, was fired for domineering behavior. If you have a lust for power, stay away from the pulpit. I don't know what's worse, he who hungers for money or he who thirsts for power. Pastors, don't draw obedience to you. That only belongs to the Lord. Well, Carl, I'm, I'm, I'm just driven. I'm a driven person and I like to drive people. Well, that's why everyone around you is driven crazy. You're not to drive, but to lead. Shepherdship is not dictatorship. Cattle are to be driven, but sheep are to be led. We are shepherds, not cowboys. Our model isn't John Wayne, it's Jesus. The story is told about a group of tourists in Israel who had been informed by their Israeli tour guide after observing a flock and their shepherd 
that the shepherds always lead the flock from the front. He told his attentive listeners on that bus that they never drive the sheep from behind. A short time later, they drove past another flock along the road, and the shepherd was walking behind the sheep. The tourists quickly raised their hand and brought it to the guide's attention. He stopped the bus and stepped out and wanted to have a word with the shepherd. He did. As he came back and boarded the bus, he had a sheepish grin on his face and announced to his eager listeners, that wasn't the shepherd. It was the butcher. <laughs> General Eisenhower once demonstrated leadership with a simple piece of string. He put it out on the conference table and then he said, pull this string and it will follow you wherever you want. But if you try to push this string... It will go nowhere. Pastor, you lead from the front. You are an example. An example in hospitality. Pastors should have people in their homes. An example in morality. Pastors should be above reproach. An example in contributing to the local church. Pastors should give a higher percentage. An example in home life. The pastor's wife and, and children should exemplify purity in speech and appearance. He leads his family with grace and nurture. Spurgeon, talking to a bunch of shepherds in his pastor's college, said, we have all heard the story of the man who preached so well, but lived so badly. That when he was in the pulpit, everyone said, he ought never to come out. And when he was out of it, they all declared he ought never to enter it again. Wearsby said a shepherd is among and over his flock. He's among and over the sheep. He's among the sheep. The shepherd smells like the sheep. He's over the sheep. The shepherd leads from the front. One pastor said good spiritual leaders knew full well that they are only shepherds, not saviors. They know that they are leaders, but not lords. They understand that they may be skillful guides, but they are not gods. Help number three for shepherds. This is not your flock. You are stewarding it until the chief shepherd returns for them. This is not your flock. You are stewarding it until the chief shepherd returns for them. Verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears. Now let's stop there. Church, I, I want you to hear me plainly. My job is temporary. I will not be a shepherd forever. I'll give up my job when the chief shepherd appears. And that's why I don't get my identity from being a pastor. I get my identity from the one who gave me the shepherding job. Pastor, you do not shepherd your flock. You shepherd the flock of God. And for as long as Christ is away, she, the church, will need faithful shepherds. But when he appears, she will no longer need earthly shepherds. The chief shepherd has arrived. And this is encouraging. <laughs> and he will perfect in your flock 
what you fail to perfect. The word chief shepherd is used only here in the New Testament. It means that there are under shepherds and then there's an arch shepherd, an archbishop, an arch overseer. Alistair Begg poses a needed and purifying truth for pastors. All of the words spoken from the pulpit, you will give an account. Every private counsel, you will give an account. Every time you jested with the Bible, instead of being serious, you will give an account. Every time you presented to someone what you would not live yourself, you will give an account. See, here's something that sheep may not know. It is possible to love your ministry more than you love Jesus. And that's horrible. Do you love your ministry more than you love Jesus? One is temporary. The other, eternal. Help number four for shepherds. Shepherding can be hard and lonely. Very few come out without wounds and stitches. But you will be rewarded. Shepherding can be hard and lonely. Very few come out without wounds and stitches, but you will be rewarded. The chief shepherd returns, the chief shepherd rewards. This is your incentive to shepherd the flock faithfully. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Faithful shepherds will not receive a trophy but a crown. In Peter's day, crowns were given to winners of Olympic contests. Crowns were given to distinguished public benefactors for community recognition. Crowns were given to soldiers who came back from battle. And the crowns were either gold or sometimes wreaths. The Greek behind the phrase unfading speaks of a garland of amaranth, which apparently was a flower that supposedly never faded. It had a red blossom. Shepherds do labor for reward, but it's not an earthly one. Earthly crowns eventually rust and fade, but God gives unfading crowns to his shepherds. They will never lose their shimmer, and their flowers never die. God alone can assess a man's ministry and hand out proper rewards. Crown is likely a metaphor, and glory the reality. One shepherd told me recently, shepherding the sheep is messy. You shouldn't expect anything else. Chuck Swindoll says a pastor needs the heart of a child and the hide of a rhinoceros. I want to talk to, I want to, talk to hurting pastors for a moment. And we have some here. You, like Spurgeon, are likely prone to deep depression. You have faced accusations that were false. People leaving your church. People moving away from your church. Incessant complaining. You feel the weight of your flock's adultery. Your flock's cancer. Your flock's miscarriage. Dear pastor, when you see Jesus you will be glad that you were faithful to the end. 
Jesus does not say, shepherd the flock of God among you if they respect you. Shepherd the flock of God among you if it's easy. No. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Hard stop. Let me talk to retired pastors. You're no longer pastoring where you used to pastor. When you do preach, your recall isn't what it once was. The preaching opportunities are beginning to dwindle. And you're self-conscious that you're losing a step and everyone sees it. Does anyone remember you? Does anyone remember the blood, sweat, and tears that you put into that church? You miss pastoring. You miss shepherding God's flock. It was your passion. Now it's gone. It's gone. And I want to be gentle here. But I want to be truthful. You were never meant to shepherd forever. It was always temporary. Dear old friend, I know there is one who saw your efforts. His name is the chief shepherd. Your labor was not in vain. He'll reward you at his coming. Until then, your life is not over. You are not washed up. You are not thrown out with the trash. You are valuable. You are loved. You have a place here. You have a home here. You have family here. You have shepherds here. Help for shepherds to shepherd better. That's verses 1 through 4. Help for flocks to flock better. That's verse 5. Peter has written to local church pastors. Now he writes to local church members. He first addressed the church leaders, and now he turns to the congregation. There's a shift here. Peter shifts from the duty of the shepherd to the flock to the duty of the flock to the shepherd. There are four helps for shepherds, but there's only two help for the sheep. Help number one for the sheep. It is for your own good that you submit to your shepherds. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Peter addresses the younger church members first, then he'll address all church members. Now, why is Peter singling out young men and young women in the church telling them to submit to the elders? <laughs> because they're the ones who needed to hear it. Younger men and younger women were more inclined not to submit. Young church members, be a joy to pastor. John MacArthur said, evidently the older crowd in these local churches willingly and respectfully placed themselves under the leadership of their elders. The younger crowd, not so much. They chafed at any and all authority. Peter has been telling these churches to submit the whole book. <laughs> submit to your master, submit to your governing authorities, submit to your husband. Now submit to your pastors. The Christian life is a submitting life. Some people cannot, will not submit to local church elders. They refuse. No one will tell me when I am out of line. I will leave whenever that happens. And the very word submit means to do something that you don't want to do. 
It's not submitting if it's always what you prefer. It retards your faith when you will not submit. It is for your own good that you have shepherds. Now, of course, of course, if an elder asks you to do something unholy, unbiblical, ungodly, you do not submit. That's a given in all of this. Nowhere are you told to submit to wicked church leadership. Wayne Grudem says, Subject means a general willingness to accept the elder's direction. Church, pray daily for your, your shepherds. You will never grow bitter towards someone you're praying for. Charles Spurgeon was once asked, To what do you attribute the success of your ministry? He did not hesitate. He said, my people pray for me. That's help number one for shepherd. Help number two, uh, help number one for sheep. This is help number two for sheep. Humble sheep receive grace upon grace. Verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. Notice these next three words. This means the whole congregation. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Now, for Peter to address the subject of humility in this day was to introduce a subject that was largely disregarded by his contemporary culture. Society was marked by self-assertion and self-promotion. Clothe yourselves. That Greek phrase comes from a word meaning to, to put on an apron. Servants did this before cooking and before washing feet. In fact... Peter saw Jesus in the upper room clothe himself with an apron and wash the disciples' feet. Every church member, young and old alike, male and female, are to wear the same thing on Sundays. An apron. We come to serve. This is our attitude toward one another. We are so quick to take the apron off. Left to ourselves, we become the center of our own universe. By putting on the apron, we're humbling ourselves before one another. We don't strut here. We serve here. Schreiner says humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. By definition, the church is a gathering of the humble. Peter continues in verse 5. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is present tense, meaning God is continually opposing the proud and he's continually giving grace to the humble. God resists the proud because he hates pride. Pride calls Satan to fall. Pride calls Adam and Eve to sin. Pride causes conflicts among local church members. God sets himself against the self-assertive. The proud meet the fierce resistance of God. Humility doesn't come easy. Pride does. Self-promotion and self-love do. Pride sets you against God and God against you. You don't want the God of all the earth to be against you. Spurgeon said to his wonderful sheep at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, he said, pride is so natural to the fallen man that it springs up in his heart like weeds in a watered garden. It is the sin with a thousand shapes and by perpetual change it escapes capture. Pride was man's first sin 
and it will be his last. The local church elders, they had a reward, a crown. The local church members have a reward. What is it? It's this. God keeps pumping grace to you. He keeps downpouring you with grace. He keeps pouring buckets of grace on you. For the humble, there are showers of grace. Now that's the exposition. I have three quick words for three groups of people. Three quick words for three groups of people. I want to talk to FFC members, FFC attenders, and then FFC pretenders. FFC members, FFC attenders, and then FFC pretenders. First, FFC members. I just want to look you in the eye and say, you do this passage so well. So well that I wanted to skip it. But we do expository preaching through books of the Bible here, so that was impossible. I want to thank you for being a pleasure to pastor. It is the joy of the, of the elders' lives to lead you. I think I'm the longest-running elder here. When I first came, when I was praying about coming, an older shepherd told me, he said, you're not going to find a church structured biblically like this around here. You're not going to find people who love and follow their elders like these people do. That old shepherd helped this young shepherd realize that. So from all the elders of Faith Family Church, we absolutely love you. And we'll give our lives and reputations to protect you. It's FFC members. Now FFC attenders. After walking through this text, you've been given multiple reasons why you should join a local church. Sheep aren't safe alone. They need a flock. When I say join, I'm not saying join a building. This is a nice new building, but it's just a sheep shed. I'm thinking about you joining a specific group of sheep led by a specific group of shepherds. You say, Kyle, I've been hurt by a pastor. I've been caught in power movements in a church. I've seen church fights. Yes, and there are certain commands here you can't obey unless you're a member of a local church. Join a local New Testament church with its imperfect sheep and its imperfect shepherds. Now, before moving on, let me give you this little side note. If I were you, all of you, um, I would check out the panel discussion today. It'll be uploaded on all the social media sites at four. I think you're going to find it helpful. FFC members, FFC attenders, and then finally FFC pretenders. FFC pretenders. You're here with us, but you're not of us. You're not truly redeemed. You're friendly. You're pleasant to be around, but you're not a Christian. You have to get your eyes off of imperfect sheep and imperfect shepherds and get your eyes on the perfect shepherd. The perfect shepherd became a sheep to live a life in the pasture that you should have lived, to die a death, slaughtering death that you should have died. He was slaughtered as a sheep 
but three days later resurrected as the chief shepherd. You, like sheep, wander away from God. Why? Because you're bent that way. It's called sin. Stop running from the chief shepherd. Repent and run to him. And all the imperfect shepherds here and all the imperfect sheep, we can give our hearty amen to that. Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.